This morning, as we continue to make our way through the Gospel of Matthew, we come to the 15th chapter. And Jesus encounters something that's likely going on in your life, even though it may look differently, tradition. And Jesus encounters tradition today. And and again, as you come to Christmas, my assumption is you have some traditions, things that you're thinking about. Maybe it's you with your family gathering. Maybe it's with at a grandparent's house or at a certain location that you typically gather. Maybe there's things that you do around the Christmas time that you just enjoy, um, certain foods, things that happen that maybe don't happen the rest of the year. And maybe there's traditions with church here and you enjoy coming to our candlelight communion service and, and being a part of that. Or maybe it's, we typically go out Christmas caroling, right? But the reality is this year looks different. So guess what? There's an opportunity for new traditions, things to start to look different for you this year, right? Maybe it's just a one year. Hopefully we pray, right? But the reality is traditions come and they're not all bad. And so today Jesus is going to encounter some traditions that are dangerous. But I, I want us to realize today at the forefront that traditions are not bad. Like, for example, today we have a tradition that this church meets on Sunday morning at 10 a.m. And that tradition was good, right? Because the reality is if it didn't, then guess what? You might show up at 8, somebody else at 9, somebody else at 1030, right? And we begin to wonder, like, when does it happen? So a tradition is not bad, but they can become dangerous. When traditions begin to take the place that is meant for God and His Word, they become dangerous. The reality of all of us is that they can come to a place that we begin to assume that because we're doing our traditions right, that we're getting things right outwardly, that must mean that we're actually good inwardly. And that's the danger with traditions, or the reality is traditions often develop because of opinions. And today we come with this hope. I think Jesus brings it to us here in the 15th chapter of Matthew that it's Bible over tradition, or we would say maybe Bible over opinion. That the reality is we all have traditions, we all have opinions, but everything must be submitted to the Word of God. Everything comes in submission to what does God have to say about that subject or about that issue. And that's what Jesus is going to face today. The challenge of those who begin to think that rules are over relationships. Or that doing is over being, right? And so we can, all of us, listen, we all struggle today with getting things outwardly right. Seemingly that makes us inwardly good. And that's Jesus dealing with this danger. The danger of tradition. The danger of elevating things as equal to or even above the Scriptures. You might be asking, well, what's the danger of putting that tradition or opinion? And I think this first truth comes to us today. The first truth that we begin, Matthew 15, is Bible over opinion protects us from devaluing the Word of God. Bible over opinion protects us from devaluing the Word. Listen to what he begins in the 15th chapter, verse 1. The Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem. Right? That should be our first warning, right? We've been watching this, 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 this. This is like seemingly picking up steam, coming down the tracks. The Pharisees, every time they enter the picture, like it, it, they come a little bit faster, a little bit harder. And the last time we saw them was the 12th chapter of Matthew. And it's when Jesus did a healing on the Sabbath. And guess what? It says that after that moment, they went out and began to plot how might they kill or destroy him. And so now they come, the Pharisees and scribes come to Jesus from Jerusalem and say, verse 2 of the 15th chapter of Matthew, why do your disciples Break the tradition of the elders. For they do not wash their hands when they eat. The problem is the disciples are breaking the tradition of the elders. And and what's the tradition of the elders? Well, 
The tradition of the elders were things that began to develop around the law. So Exodus chapter 30, verse 19, required that the priests, prior to going in and, and making these sacrifices in the temple, were to wash their hands and their feet. Why? It was a reminder, right, what's known as the ceremonial law, right? They were being a part of the ceremony. It was a reminder of them outwardly, hey, listen, guys, you've got to be clean to come in here. It was a reminder to Paul's as they washed those hands, they washed those feet, that guess what? What's more important is your hearts need to be washed, that our sin is a barrier between us and God. And so it was a symbolic act, a physical act that reminded them outwardly what needed to be happening inwardly, the cleansing they were coming. But here's the danger. The Pharisees saw that and said, listen, again, the Pharisees are religious rulers, those who interpret the Scriptures. They say, if that's good for the the priest, guess what? That would be great for all of us. If we all want to live holy, godly lives, then not only should the priests do it when they go in the temple, we should all do it before we eat. And so they began to make these elaborate washing of hands and elaborate washing of all their different utensils, right? I mean, you hear that that issue in John chapter 4, right, where the Samaritan woman asked Jesus, you ask for me a drink? You're going to use the same pot I drink from? You know us Samaritans, us Gentiles, right? We're unclean. You can't drink from the same. That, that'll make you unclean, holy man. And that's the tradition of the elders. What they've done is they've made, listen, here's what God's word says. And they said, listen, if that's what God's word says, then we need to build up all these different rules, these fences around God's word so that we don't even get close to stepping over God's word. And it's what had happened with the Sabbath and all of these different things. And they just began to wear wear the people out. But Jesus says to them in verse 3, And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? Listen to that. The tradition had brought them to a place of actually breaking the command or the word of God. And then he gives this example, verse 4. For God commanded, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother what you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. Jesus says that they have put tradition over Bible or opinion over Bible. And in doing so, he says, guess what you've done? When you do this, right, when you, the sake of your tradition becomes that important, he says, what you actually begin to do is you have made void the word of God. You're neglecting the word. And then he gives them an example of how they do this. They begin in verse four. He says, right, the command is honor your father and what? And your mother, right? And then he gives the warning right there, the warning passage that anyone who reviles father and mother must surely die. But guess what? They found a way around it, seemingly. They had decided, hey, listen, here's what you can do. Imagine that today you have money or possessions, right? And you decide, I want to give those money or possessions to God. Because guess what? Yeah, absolutely, that's a good thing. But what about your parents, You see, the reality is they live in a culture that's different than ours. There's no 401k. There's no Medicare. There's nothing coming to provide for them, right? They live in a culture in which, guess what, right? You have the food that's there today. You go to the well today to draw water, and tomorrow, guess what? You're going to need new food. You're going to need new water. You need someone to provide for you. So as you age, guess what? The expectation was is children continue to honor their parents by caring for them even in their old age. 
But what they had done is saying, listen, that money or maybe possessions that I would have given to you, mom or dad, I've given those to God. Now, outwardly, that appears really spiritual. That appears like, wow, they must really love the Lord. But Jesus says, in fact, what they've done is they have made their tradition. They've made void the word of God. You see, they've done this. They don't think it's a bad thing. But if that's their pursuit, if that's how you become holy and that's how you look godly, he says, you're missing the important matter of the law to honor your father and your mother. You found a way around the Bible by your tradition. It's, a, it's just it's a challenge, right? And again, listen, we can all begin to get that place where we think that our own opinion or feelings trump the scripture. And you might wonder, well, how, how might I do that? Look what he says in verse four. He says, for God commanded or God said, right? And then look what he says further, verse 5. But you say. So God said this, but you say this. Right? So they come to a place of thinking, well, what God says is good, but listen, what we have to say is just as good. It's like a danger of doing this when we look at the Scriptures clearly, and all of us, we begin to say, yeah, but that's not how I feel. Right? We, we hear what God's Word has to say, and we think, well, but yeah, doesn't God just want me to be happy? You see, if we come to the place of letting anything else have equal authority with the Bible, we are failing to worship God. Hear that again. If we let anything else come to the place of having authority as equal to or greater than the Scriptures, we are failing to worship God. In fact, you may become your own God, making rules about what's right and wrong, and our opinion or tradition could even be based upon the Bible. That's what the Pharisees have, right? They have tradition and opinion. It's based upon the Scripture. But it's led them astray. This is why it's so tricky, right, with other religions, right? The the Mormons or the Jehovah Witnesses, right? They have the Bible, but they also have other books. Right? And so now what Joseph Smith says or Charles Taze Russell has said, they're the Jehovah Witnesses, right? I mean, whatever they said is equal to, right? I mean, even times, let's be honest, in, in the Roman Catholic Church, the Pope can speak. When he speaks ex cathedra, which is speaking literally out of the chair, what he says in that moment is equal to the weight of Scripture. As believers, we come against that and say, no, it is the Bible and the Bible only. Now, we may argue, and we're going to get to that at the end of the day, over how we interpret scriptures. Absolutely, that happens, and it divides, even amongst denominations and other groups. But the reality is, listen, beloved, we have no other holy book than the scriptures. 39 Old Testament, 27 New Testament books, 66 books that are from the word of God by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is God's word. The danger can come for all of us. Right? That, that our authority, where does it come from? I think the reminder has to be today, our authority comes from Jesus. It was in Matthew 28, right? As, as Matthew closes out his gospel, Jesus stands and says, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and doing what? Teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Now, here's a moment, right, back in Matthew 15, where we see that Jesus commands and teaches the Scriptures. And it's Bible over opinion, Bible over tradition. 
It's a reminder, as in Luke 24, after Jesus was raised from the dead, and he's walking with the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, and he says, don't you realize that everything in the Old Testament points to me? Right? When we look to the Scriptures, we are ultimately looking to Christ. And the danger is when we begin to make all of these other rules outside of it, we begin to look at ourselves rather than Christ. And that is the danger. Simply put, as believers, we believe Bible over tradition, Bible over opinion. Secondly, listen, not only is it Bible over opinion, right? Because it's, again, it's, it's keeping us from devaluing the Scriptures. Secondly, Bible over opinion because it protects us from hypocrisy. Jesus warns of the danger when other things begin to be elevated to the level of Scripture. Look what he says here. You hypocrites, verse 7. Now think of that. He's speaking to the most religious men on the face of the earth, and he calls them hypocrites. He's saying the word hypocrites indicates they've got a mask. They're acting. They're pretending. Now what's important, right, when we think often about the word hypocrite, we think about, well, somebody that goes to church and then lives totally different outside the walls. That's not what Jesus is defining here. Jesus is saying these people go to church and then they go outside the walls and they live these seemingly clean and super religious lives, but the whole time they're actually hiding their hearts from God. We might say today that Jesus speaks to the church. And the danger of you and I showing up in this place or reading our Bibles or praying or giving our offering or singing the songs and all the while our heart being in pursuit of something else dangerous he speaks and he warns them you hypocrites well did isaiah prophesy of you the 29th chapter of isaiah he's citing verse 13 when he said this people honors me with their lips but their heart is far from me in vain do they worship me teaching as doctrines the commandments of men you see what they were trying to do was expose jesus by their traditions Right? Your disciples are eating without unwashed hands. They're going to be unclean. Are you endorsing this? But actually what happens is our traditions actually expose our own hypocrisy. And Jesus gives two specific reasons, again, from the prophet Isaiah here. Look what he says. The first one is, listen, why are these people hypocrites? First, their worship is external, not internal. Look what he says. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are what? Far from me. So the listen, he says, the worship is external, not internal. And then he says to them, secondly, listen, this is the reason, second reason why they're hypocrites. Their teaching is from men and not from God. He says, in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrine the commandments of men. You see, Jesus is citing the 29th chapter of Isaiah, and we hear that in verse 13. The Lord said, because this people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me and their fear of me is a commandment taught by men. Therefore, listen, how will God respond to this? Behold, I again do wonderful things with this people with wonder upon wonder. So God's still going to show mercy and grace first and foremost. Despite our rebellion and hypocrisy, God's love still pursues. What a moment. But look what he says second to them. Verse 14 of Isaiah 29. And the wisdom of their wise men shall perish, and the discernment of their discerning men shall be hidden. He says, God is going to show that it's actually foolishness, these teachings of men. Further, verse 15. 
Ah, you who hide deep from the Lord your counsel, whose deeds are in the dark, and who say, who sees us, who knows us? You turn things upside down. The reminder is, listen, these folks think that what they're doing, that nobody notices and sees, and this is has to be the danger to all of us. God sees beyond our hypocrisy. He sees beyond our church going, our Bible reading, our offering giving, our mission going, our, our listen, our singing of songs. He sees to the heart today. I don't know about you. Does that not terrify you? He knows when you and I are performing. He knows my hypocritical actions. He sees the true motives of my heart. This text ought to terrify each of us and compel us to come running to Christ. These people honor me with their lips, he says, but their heart, which God is after your heart, is far from me. I don't know if you ever have issues in your house now, if you have kiddos, or maybe you had issues as brothers and sisters growing up or with cousins, right? But one of the things we have was sometimes when our boys fight, we bring them back together, right? And we try to work on a way in which we can bring healing and forgiveness. And, and so often we'd say, hey, listen, well, why don't you just acknowledge that what you specifically did was wrong and ask for their forgiveness? And a lot of times, let's be honest, it goes like this. I shouldn't have taken your toy. I'm sorry. Now, now outwardly, the lips are, the, the words are right, aren't they? But that heart matters, doesn't it? I mean, the truth is, right, if somebody comes to you that's done you wrong and like, sorry. What does it mean? I mean, we can honor people with our lips. We can give the right words, but it's our hearts, doesn't? Our hearts matter. What's going on inwardly? And that's what Jesus is saying. Listen, you can use the right words, but your heart's having no part of it. That's hypocrisy. Jesus says it's the exact same thing. Listen, when we come here and do these things of just reading or praying or singing or talking about Bible verses or putting offerings in the plate, but the entire time our heart is not in it. And listen, the danger is we can think we're good because we've done those things. I went to church. I'm good. I sang songs today. I'm good. I gave my offering today. I'm good. If that's how we get our goodness, we're in danger, beloved. Our goodness is only from Christ. Our goodness is Him. Why? Because I'm going to tell you, there's going to come days when you come in this place and you don't get it right. There's going to come days when you come in this place and you're going to struggle. And it's in those moments when you're reminded and I'm reminded how much we desperately need Christ. But the truth is, the truth is, We need Christ on those days and on the days when we think we got it all together. We need it. That's what tradition, listen, tradition says when you hear this word that you rush past it. You're already thinking, how do I get on with my Sunday? Preacher, hurry up, dude. I got places to go and things to do. Finish up already. Be careful. The church has not just become something you do on the list and once it's over, it's on to lunch, and it's on to this, and it's on to that, and it's on to... Listen, it, I don't know about for you, it happens to me not only in here, I'll be honest with you, that same heart, that same mentality invades my private time alone with God too. Like I, I can read the scriptures in the morning, spend that time, and think, man, I'm good today, I had my private time, my time alone with the Lord. But if I'm honest, there are times when I read the scriptures and I, the Lord, the Spirit, just like plague. Read that again, baby. Read that. Slow down, Blake. 
It's, it's not the goal to check it off, to say you've done it so you feel good about yourself. It's not about rituals, Blake. It's, it's about a relationship. And so the Lord, just by the power of the Spirit, will just slow me down to come back and, and, and read over that again. You hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And the Spirit begins to show me my hypocrisy in all these different areas of my life. Comes to a time of repentance and confession. There's times when I begin to see that and begin to pray for others. Oh God, don't let our church be but full of hypocrites. Oh God, their hearts are like mine. I know they're weak. God, protect them. Strengthen my children. Oh God, thank you that despite the fact that I was a hypocrite, you sent Christ to die for me. Oh God, you love me in the midst of my hypocrisy. You came to redeem me, God. You came to save me. Do you see We can just read it to say we read it today. We heard a sermon today. But beloved, I want my own soul and your soul to encounter the God of the Scriptures. But man, tradition and rituals, all that is dangerous. I don't know about you. It's Hypocrisy is not just an issue for Pharisees. It's an issue for me. And I think it's an issue for all people. Therefore, this text, I think, compels all of us to come and cry out, God, bring my heart near to you. God, help me in every way, in every place. Place Bible over opinion, Bible over tradition. I think all this leaves us asking why. Why do the Pharisees do all of these rituals and traditions and cleansings? And I think it's this. Because the outward is the easiest way to make ourselves appear and feel clean. Isn't it? The outward is the easiest way for us to feel like, oh, I'm good now. I've done this. I'm clean. Man, the truth is, listen, our opinions and rules can never change the heart. And I think that's, that's, that brings us to our last point. Bible over opinion because the Bible always looks to the heart. Bible over tradition. Why? Because the Bible will always look to the heart and tradition can keep at at, at our hearts at a distance and think we're still good. So look what Jesus says, verse 11. Or verse 10, he says, And he called the people to him and said to them, Hear and understand, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person. That's major. So it's not what you take into your body, Right here he's saying, right again, about eating food with unwashed hands. What he's speaking of, the context. But it's what comes out of the mouth that defiles a person. Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? The reality is, listen though, the Bible always points inward. Where our opinions and traditions have a tendency to look so much outward. They don't hear that and assume the Bible doesn't care about the way you and I live outwardly. That's not it at all. But the Bible uniquely begins inwardly and works its way outwardly. The traditions of men begin outwardly and somehow think they're going to ever make their way inwardly. It will never happen. It will never happen. That's why, beloved, again, we're Bible over tradition, Bible over opinion, because it's always inward. The Bible always looks to the heart. The Pharisees obviously don't like it. And Jesus answers, verse 13, every plant that my heavenly father is not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, he says, both will fall into a pit. 
But Peter says to him, explain this parable to us. Tell us what you're talking about, Jesus. We don't understand. And he says, are you still without understanding? And then this verse right here comes, and it's an absolutely important verse, and in a verse that I think my boys are going to absolutely love to hear because Jesus speaks about their favorite topic, or one of them, poop. Yeah. Jesus makes his point by talking about poop, right? Some of you are very mature and you're like, mm, not appropriate. Other kids and others of you and big kids in this room are smiling. But nonetheless, that's what Jesus talks about. So guess what? Here it is from Jesus' own lips, right? I can see in the rest of my lives my boy saying, well, Dad, Jesus talked about it. So listen what it says. Verse 17 of Matthew 15 of how Jesus makes his point. Look what he says. Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? Okay, some of say, mate, into the latrine, into the toilet. That's what he's saying. That we take food in, it comes into our bodies, it goes in our stomachs, and then we expel it, right? We poop it out. That's the truth, right? Listen, the point of Jesus is saying here, and listen, this is a major point right here. Our man-made laws can never change the heart. He's saying, listen, all these outward things, listen, they're just coming in. They're not. Listen, they can't cleanse you. They can't make you dirty. It's, it's not this eating with unwashed hands that defiles you. He says it's, in fact, the heart. It's the heart that makes you dirty. Now, listen, we may think this verse again, hearing that's funny, but Matthew 7 or Mark chapter 7 tells the exact same text. And in verse 19 of Mark 7, Jesus, after saying the statement, Mark tells us this words. And by doing this, by saying this, he made all foods clean. And that's major. Why? Because foods of clean and unclean were one of the ways in which Jewish and Gentile people were separated. Galatians 2, Peter's still struggling with it. In Acts chapter 10, Peter encounters this vision of this sheep being let down from heaven and these unclean animals in it. And the Lord says to him, rise and eat, Peter. And he says, surely, Lord, I've never eaten anything unclean. And the Lord says, don't call unclean what I've made clean. And what he's telling Peter is the unclean, the dirty people, the Gentiles, with all their messed up stuff that you guys think, man, there's just no way God could ever take them in. I want you to know that Christ came to make the unclean clean. He made the two one he's done a work here and so jesus statement here in matthew 15 17 mark chapter 7 verse 19 is absolutely important for how the rest of the new testament even flows and it's just this statement about do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled it's helping them understand how do we interpret the scriptures and jesus is always saying we must begin with the heart the Bible always comes to the heart. And so that, watch what happens. Verse 18. But what comes out of the mouth, it proceeds from the heart. And this defiles a person. So listen, this is major. This is why, listen, some folks think what they say is not that big a deal. Jesus says no. Contrary to that, listen to the truth of God's word. Again, don't let your opinions trump Bible over opinion. This is the truth. But what comes out of your and my mouth proceeds from where? He says, you know, what's going on in the heart? What's coming out of there? Evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual morality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. It's the heart that defiles you. 
but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. This is why our words are such a big deal, beloved. This is why our words condemn us. Why? Because they reflect the heart. The mouth is the mirror to mind your heart. That's why you can sit around and listen to someone talk and you get a real clear glimpse of what's going on in their heart. That's why, listen, when you look and read social media posts and what people are saying, it's a reflection of what's going on in the heart. When you and others, we gather in rooms and we gossip in little corners and talk about things, the reality is in those moments, Jesus says what's coming out of our lips is actually what's going on in our hearts. He says, listen, if you want your latest spiritual EKG report, listen to what that person is saying. That will tell you what's going on in their heart. It's terrifying scripture, isn't it? I mean, who can meet up to this? I mean, this ought to compel us as believers to come and cry out, Christ, have mercy on me. God, forgive me. I mean, who of us here doesn't have some of these evil thoughts or murder or adultery or sexual morality or theft or false witness or slander, those evil desires lurking? Who of us in this room is not guilty of acting upon some of these things at different points in our lives? So, beloved, what's the condition of your heart? To the unbeliever here, to the the person here who's yet to profess Christ, I want you to know these are dangerous truths. Why? Because listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6. Verse 9, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? So this is talking about who will get into heaven and who won't. This is God's word, not opinion. God's word. Do not be deceived. Listen to this list and see how much it mirrors what Jesus just said about our hearts. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Listen to what he says again. Listen to this warning. Do not be deceived. Why? Because hearing that list, we can all think, surely not. Surely not. Our opinion, our desires, our thoughts, our ways, our culture, everything is trying to influence. But beloved, it has to be Bible over opinion. Bible over culture. Jesus says the conditions of our hearts and the actions of our lives, in fact, disqualify each and every one of us in this room from the kingdom of God. That's the bad news. But because of Jesus coming and dying in our place and being buried and on the third day by the power of God, raised again, declaring that he is willing and able to forgive the very things that disqualify us in our hearts and with our lives. Listen to this hope. Listen to this good news, beloved. And such were some of you. Did you hear it? Christ can change us. Christ can forgive us. There's hope. No matter what you've done or where you've been. Oh, there's hope. Listen, Paul says, and such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. And you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. He says, God can wash your dirty heart. God can wash my dirty heart. Hallelujah, church. He can wash our dirty hearts. He can sanctify us. That word means to set you apart. He can change your heart that you no longer desire the things that once disqualified you from the kingdom. He can change evil hearts and desires like mine. And maybe you'd be willing to admit like yours. And he can justify. That word justified never sin. It means that you, because, listen to what he says here, and justified us in the name of the Lord Jesus. 
It is in the name of Jesus Christ today that you can be declared innocent before God. Why? Because He dies on the cross suffering as if He had your evil heart. And by grace through faith, His perfect heart is credited to you. So you stand before God as if you had the heart of Christ. (laughs) Do you hear that? That's hope. Man, that's hope, beloved. It's by the power of the Spirit. Lastly, to those who are already in Christ, I think one reminder is, as believers, let us never get past the fact this text speaks of us, and such were some of you. Don't forget that. That is what we once were. And, beloved, to the day we die, we will continue to fight that old flesh. But I think a question has to be posed from this Scriptures today here in Matthew 15 is, what do we do when our opinions about the Scriptures disagree? Because we've been talking about traditions and opinions, but the reality is we all come to places where we, guess what, we're looking at the same Scriptures, but we disagree. We have differing opinions about how that is interpreted. And I think that's a really important and applicable question to ask from this text. The word's been called theological triage, all right? So don't let that scare you. The word triage just means to sort. So imagine this. Today the church ends and two kiddos go running down the front steps of the church. They both trip and fall. One kid falls, and we notice, man, that he's bruised and, and bloodied up his knee and his elbow, but we look, and the other child has broken their arm. In that moment, which one do you think needs the most immediate treatment and care? Which kid? The one with the broken arm, right? You've made that decision. The same way in triage, right? I mean, it happens in war, and one soldier's got maybe shot and skirt, you know, the, the bullet's scraped or been hurt, but another person's been shot in the chest. That decision has to be made in that moment. This soldier here needs the most immediate treatment. The ER is making those decisions. Doctors are making those decisions. Nurses are making those type of triage decisions. What is the most urgent? What is the greatest need? Well, so it is when we come to theological triage. We're trying to make the decision, what's the most important, and then working our way down. Because the reality is, even in this room, we don't all agree and have the same opinion of Scripture. So maybe this would help as we close. This imagery here is, is used, and when you see here just this, this first set, right? See the number one, right? When you think about these first-ranking doctrines, these are things that are essential for holding up the gospel. These are what you would define as hills to die on, right? These are like, man, these are make and break. Like, if I start preaching something contradictory to this, i got to be out of here. Like, gone. Not only as a pastor, like, I mean, these are contradictory to the faith. So listen, a couple of these things, right? These are things that we hold to. The full deity and the actual humanity of Christ. The virgin birth. Jesus Christ was born, right? Fully God and fully man. We believe that. We acknowledge. That's why the virgin birth had to happen. Because if he was born like you and I, he would have been born with a sin nature. This is non-negotiable. This is about the deity of Christ. The Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. This is who God is. Our God is three in what? One. It's it's just non-negotiable. Third, another thing to think about here. Again, these first-ranked doctrines justification by faith alone there's no other way to be right with god there's no work there's no tradition there's no ritual it is only by grace alone through faith alone in jesus christ alone amen the scriptures right the scriptures are the inspired and errant word of god that means they're god's word and they're without error we have to acknowledge that why because if you stop trusting this then where does it end and if you can take and cut this portion of Scripture out, then how can you stand to say to someone else, well, we can't follow that portion, but we've got to follow this portion. No, it's all 66 books. All Scripture is God-breathed. So what about second-ranked doctrines? These are things that maybe aren't necessarily essential in, in some sense to the gospel, 
but they're important enough they begin to justify divisions, right? This is why you see why there's so many different kind of churches out there. This helps explain it, right? Thinking about things of ecclesiology, that just the view of the church, right? How they view church, how church order happens. But things like baptism, right? We don't baptize infants here. We do what's called believer's baptism. Why? Because we believe that a believer must make the genuine profession of faith. They must genuinely repent. So we separate from other churches that do that. Why? Because that's what we believe the Scriptures teach. Things like the Lord's Supper, right? Gender roles in the church, right? I mean, guess what? You're in a church that's a complementarian church. That means that men and women have different but complementary roles and responsibilities. But guess what? In this church, you're not going to see a woman preaching behind the pulpit. Other denominations view that differently. But it's important to understand that doesn't make them heretics and us right, right? Or us heretics and them right. These are just dividing marks, right? Again, so as you move further down the scale, right, you're beginning to show more grace, more mercy, realizing, hey, we may just disagree on how we interpret these. They're they're major, right? I mean, we, we can't be in fellowship necessarily in the same church together, but I'm not denying you as a believer, right? Number one, this right here, this area, Man, when those things happen, we're denying them as believers. Like, those are major separation points. Third-ranked doctrines, right? Things about the church or the creation, right? Is it a young earth or versus an old earth? Things about the millennium, right? Is it a literal thousand years or is this figurative, right? Things about understanding some difficult, hard, difficult texts like God's sovereignty, man's free will. How do these two work together? Listen, is we can be in the same church here even today and disagree on how we come to some of those. So do you see how this triage begins to help us, right? Again, you may think, wow, but it's, well, I'm not sure. But I hope and pray it helps because I think that's a lot of tension and stress the church is facing, trying to make decisions. And as we deal with Bible over tradition, Bible over opinion, the reality is we do have tradition and we do have opinion. You're in a Southern Baptist church today. There are traditions and opinions about the Scriptures and there are reasons why we came there. So again, these things are major, and as you make your way down, we begin to show more grace and mercy as those things begin to happen. Beloved, the temptation in every single one of our hearts is to put our opinions or thoughts or whatever over the Scripture. Today, you must make this decision. Are you going to stand above the Word of God, or are you going to sit seated in submission under it? What is it for you in your house? What is it for you in your life? Beloved, I think Jesus is clearly teaching to us today. It's Bible over tradition. Bible over opinion. Would you pray with me? Father, in the strong name of Christ we come. Praying today that you would strengthen us as a church. To hold fast, especially God, to those first rank doctrines. Hold fast to the second, God. Lord, as we come further down there, I pray that you would allow us to show mercy and grace to those we disagree with. Father, I pray that you would protect every one of our hearts here, God, the danger of all of us being hypocritical. Father, thank you for making us clean, but such were some of you, Lord. Man, I love that statement. Tap that right there on my, my epitaph, God. Throw it on my tombstone, but such were some of you. Thank you, God, for forgiving and redeeming me. Thank you, God, not only for what you forgave me of in the past. Thank you for what you've forgiven me of this week, God. Thank you for your forgiveness, your mercy and grace, mercy and grace now, God. Thank you, Lord. God bless my brothers and sisters. Strengthen them. I pray it in Jesus' name, Lord. Amen. This is Todd Young with Greensburg Baptist Church. 
Thank you for joining us today. If you've accepted Christ during today's podcast, we would love to hear from you and connect you with a home church in your area. Or if you have questions regarding a relationship with Christ, Brother Blake and I would love to speak with you. Please contact us at the church office at 270-932-4495 or connect with us through our website at greensburgbaptist.com. In addition, you may visit our website anytime to access the sermon videos and podcast of any recent sermon. You may also subscribe to our podcast in the iTunes store. Have a great day today.